Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1193 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show breakdown right what became a pretty frustrating loss for the Atlanta Hawks up in Detroit. A final score of 113 to 110 in overtime. Yes, overtime, the first game all year long that the Hawks have actually gone to overtime, game 64 of the season. And uh, they did have a chance in this game to go back to 500 for the first time since mid December. It's been a long sort of, uh, let's say, up and down path back to 500, but they haven't got there just yet because the Hawks lost this game. Um, despite some strong moments, there were some ugly moments along the way and uh, lots of drama in crunch time. The offense was really good before halftime. The defense was not. Defensively, it was definitely better after halftime, but the Hawks' offense kind of stalled out from there, and uh, there were chances for them to win in the final minutes, final seconds even. By Donovan had a controversial foul call in the final seconds of regulation, and the Hawks had a chance to win it in regulation with John Collins on the free throw line. He went one of two to tie the game, force overtime, and then in overtime, it was really all Pistons. The Hawks were never uh, really in control during the overtime period. So we'll get into all of that here. But as a top-line thought, this is not a good loss for the Hawks. Obviously, I tried to stress, if you listen to the podcast on Sunday evening with Wes Morton and also on my Twitter feed on Sunday into Monday, I did try to stress that there was no gimme here in terms of going on the road and winning Detroit. Detroit had been playing pretty well recently. In fact, they were 5-2 and two in their previous seven games with wins over the Celtics and the Cavs and the Hornets and the Raptors. But at the same time, the Pistons are a rebuilding team. They do have some talent, but they're even with this win, 18 and 47 on the season. So it's a road game. Nothing's ever assured, but this is a game the Hawks needed to win. They were seven and a half point favorites, according to our friends at Ben Online in this game. So uh, that's not, you know, that's not the worst loss of the season on paper. I think that Spurs loss at home is up there. There have been a couple of games this season that the Hawks have probably had worse performances in, but all things considered, you're into March. Every game means a ton. The Hawks are in this playoff race and to lose this one. Definitely is not ideal. So we'll get into what transpired here, but that's sort of the uh, overarching uh, viewpoint of this contest. On the injury front, the Hawks were without Kevin Herter in this game. He left Friday's game early with a shoulder issue. It was listed as left shoulder soreness. He was questionable coming in, and he was ruled out before the game started. He told Sarah Spencer of the AJC on Monday that he kind of felt the shoulder slip, slip out on that pass that he threw late in the game on Friday. He's been battling that shoulder for a while, and that's sort of in his words. Anyway, uh, McMillan, by the way, will often use a game time decision to describe players that are listed as questionable. In fact, that is usually what he does. Not always, but usually. In this game, though, he ruled out Herter. So apparently it was not all that close. He was not going to play in this one. We'll see if he returns on Wednesday. Elsewhere on the injury front, Kong did return to this game after about a two and a half game absence. His presence is always encouraging. He had some rough moments, but certainly better to have him around than not. In this game, and Collins, by the way, was off the injury report entirely. I did say at shoot around, according to Sarah, that he's dealing with some pain still in that foot. So something to keep an eye on. He wasn't listed on the injury report. In fact, it was only Herter on the injury report for this game. But keep an eye on Collins and Okongwu as they sort of get resettled and uh, get comfortable back in the game. Detroit, largely at full strength. They were without Frank Jackson and Hamadou Diallo. But as I said before, the Hawks were seven and a half point favorites in this game at the online. So that tells you the Hawks are supposed to win this game, and they didn't throw Diving into this one now in terms of the game itself, is he first start for Bogdanovich since mid-January. He's been, of course, working off the bench for a while and playing very, very well 
in that role. His number's been awesome. We talked about that with Wes yesterday on the show. And by the way, one more plug here. Wes Morton and I talked about all kinds of Hawk stuff on Sunday that is still relevant in your feeds just now. And please subscribe to the podcast. Um, also beyond that, Collins, after a one-game stint off the bench, returned to the starting lineup. And uh, I'm sure he was limited on some level, but ended up playing 32 minutes in the overtime game. So not too limited there in terms of minutes. Um, it's kind of funny now, retrospect, look, looking at my notes back to the first quarter, Trey Young made his first three shots of this game. He had eight points in the first three minutes or so of this contest. And the rest of the game, he was two of 17 for six points. So kind of a, a sort of a night and day thing there for Trey. It's some nice passes early on as well. But the Hawks offensively were good in the first half. They had an 8-0 run in the first quarter, took the lead. Um, rotationally, it was DeLon Wright as the first sub, which makes which makes a lot of sense. Usually it's Bogdanovich, but because they needed to have Bogdanovich be the backup, backup small forward in this game, he came out first and came back in as the first guy who returned to the action of replacing DeAndre Hunter. Then they used Gallinari for Capella, um, at least for a couple minutes, and then they went to Okongwu. Only briefly um, was it with Collins at the five, then it was Okongwu with Lou Williams sort of paired together. And that was the rotation for this game. It was only nine guys who appeared for real minutes in this one. No, not a huge surprise if you've been following along for any length of time here. McMillan had, kind of has a 10-man rotation that he likes to use. He has 10 guys that sort of are in their own tier in terms of like comfort level for McMillan. And with only Herder out, he could get by with only playing nine of those 10. And he did that in this game. This is the play well in this game, played competitively. I thought Kongwu, as I mentioned before, kind of had a pretty shaky stretch in that first half. Um, Gallo, I thought defensively, was pretty flammable in that first half as well. And that kind of led to the Pistons getting a little, sort of their foothold offensively. But the Hawks scored 30 points on 20 possessions in the first quarter, which is, of course, 1.5 points per possession. That is excellent. It's a very slow-paced game. So you might look at the score and just think this is sort of a modest offensive game. It kind of was in the second half for sure. But the first half, it was a slow pace. And the Hawks were really, really effective on offense. They went up by nine early in the second quarter after a 10-0 run. Gallinari had a hot stretch. He had eight points in a pretty short period of time, two threes in that stretch. But then as soon as that happened, Pistons countered with their own 10-0 run, which forced Nate to call his own timeout. Defensively, again, it was really not very good. It was almost a 13-0 run, actually. Detroit had a three-pointer that was waved off because the shot clock buzzer went off right after it actually had to be reviewed, and they ruled that it was after the play. But the starters that came back into the game, they didn't really solve things defensively. And I thought, especially in transition, they had some issues matching up in that first half. Uh, there were some nice play by DeLon Wright at times in the first half. He had two nice he had two nice drives late in the first half, also uh, had a, a sort of drew a charge in the final minute. But basically nothing else in the final, I don't know, five minutes of the second half, sorry, the second quarter was good for the Hawks. It was a 24 to, 24 to 12 extended run by the Pistons to end the first half. And the Hawks went into halftime down after leading by nine points in the first half. So sort of a roller coaster there, but the offense was good. They had a 1.22 offensive rating. That is obviously good. Even with the late stall on offense, they shot the ball. Well, they took, they, they took care of the ball for the most part. They had four guys with eight points or more in the first quarter and sorry, in the first half, but defensively they allowed almost a 130 defensive rating. And that is uh, just brutal stuff. Honestly, Detroit is not good on offense. They have some guys who are shot makers. Kate Cunningham obviously had a good game in this one. Jeremy Grant's a talented guy, but um, effort level was not fantastic. Execution level was not fantastic. And Piston shot 36% from the floor in that first half. So, um, you know, on the bright side, the damage was not done. Like the Hawks were only down by three going into halftime. And if I just told you at the break, they were going to hold the Pistons to 42 points in the second half, I would have said the Hawks were huge favorites to win the game. If that's all I knew that happened and the Hawks were not able to capitalize because the offense in a shocking twist actually was not able to perform 
after halftime. So we'll get into that in a second in terms of the uh, nuts and bolts of the second half, as well as some takeaways, some player observations, and look ahead to the schedule and much more. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Basketball is running a full steam right now, both pro and college hoops. And in March, it's my favorite time of year, to be honest with you. And basketball is in the middle of the frame on a number of levels with latest odds, totals, player props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline.net is the number one place in the entire world for your sports betting needs. Beyond that, BetOnline remains your best spot for all your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And of course, it's not just about basketball right now or really ever because BetOnline has a full slate of offerings. BetOnline is your source for hockey and UFC and boxing, auto racing, golf, tennis, soccer, baseball, occasionally, entertainment and horse racing odds, plus every single prop you could possibly think of. Head to BetOnline right now or use a mobile device to learn about all of what's transpiring in the trends and the action today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dive back in now to the second half of this game. And the Hawks actually had a nice start to the third quarter. Um, I thought on both ends of the floor, even. Uh, especially defensively, though. They forced Detroit into some tough shots. The Pistons scored five points in the first six minutes. It was a 13-5 to run by the Hawks to go up by five points. And at that point, they were in control of the game. They weren't dominating it, but they were in control. Um, later on in the, in the quarter, they had a possession where both Bogdanovich and Capella had blocked shots. They had some extra effort plays defensively. I think... Really, the second half of this game was a strong defensive performance overall, both on a results basis and a um, effort execution basis defensively. But the offense sputtered. So they only scored 13 points in the first eight minutes, and that wasn't too, too bad, but they also could have capitalized in a bigger way. In fact, the entire third quarter was 20 to 19 in favor of the Hawks. So they won the quarter, but with 20 points and some pretty bad offense, the Hawks were one of seven from the floor. Sorry, one of seven from three in the third quarter with four turnovers, which is not exactly fantastic. But defensively, they did hold the Pistons to 31% shooting in the third. Only thing that I wanted to add beyond that was that Hunter had a pretty poor decision to make a take foul, one of those intentional stop the fast break kind of fouls for his fourth late in the third quarter. He did not foul out of the game, but he had five at, at times late. And then McDonough actually did foul out at the very end, but just kind of a, a play that you can't have from a young guy. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where take fouls, you know, in, in a vacuum would not have been a bad play. It's a normal play that guys make all the time, but you can't, you got to know that you have three fouls there and not do that at the end of the third quarter. Regardless though, Knox won the quarter. They're down, they're down by two points. And then early in the fourth, same kind of story. Lou Williams had five big points early in the fourth. And then a nice pass to Gallinari and the Hawks were back in the lead again early in the fourth quarter. They actually stuck with Lou. He was playing so well that they actually rolled with him and Trey for a little bit in the fourth quarter. I don't love that, but at least if Lou has it going, it's more defensible. I said it before in the past, like what makes me the craziest is when Lou's not playing well and they do that. I don't love it under any circumstances, to be honest with you, but if Lou was, Lou was good in this game, flat out good. He was a huge part of the Hawks kind of hanging in there early in the fourth quarter. But I gave up six points to Detroit in the middle of the fourth to go down by two with five and a half minutes to go. And what I really hated about playing Trey and Lou together was not necessarily those guys playing together, but they play those two guys without Capella and without Collins. And I really, really did not like that, particularly because Capella was much better than the Kongwu in this game. And then, of course, Collins' defense compared to Gallinari's defense is night and day. So that's uh, that was tough, and it kind of hurt them a little bit defensively in that stretch. But after the timeout, they had some trade. They had traded some empty trips. Trey finally tied it. He actually missed 10 straight shots before that. He finally made one to tie the game. Um, they kind of settled for some tough jump shots. Trey and Bogey had some pretty contested, uh, shaky jumpers there. And the Pistons scored, and the Hawks were down by two with 3.30 to go. And they called timeout there. I'll, I'll sort of go possession by possession from this point forward because there was so much that happened in this stretch. But they tied it with Collins. Detroit answered. Bogey had a three in the right wing for the lead, but the Pistons scored again. So the, basically the theme was 
in the last three three minutes or so trading buckets. Like both teams were really kind of scoring, um, not at will, but pretty effectively. And then Trey had a pretty gruesomely bad pass for a turnover at a bad time. Um, actually, there was a possession where Isaiah Livers, who went to Michigan, I've seen him play so many times, and he kind of burned the Hawks a few times this game as a shooter because he's kind of an off the radar. He was hurt this year. He's a rookie, et cetera. But he can shoot, no question about that. But he actually missed one so badly that it was actually unlucky for the Hawks because he airballed it and it went right to Killian Hayes for uh, a foul there. And the Hawks were down by two again with two, with two minutes to go. Uh, Trey then seemingly gets fouled. They call it, they actually called a foul. This is though challenged it on Hayes and actually won that challenge. It ends up being a jump ball rather than free throws by Trey. Fortunately for the Hawks, they won the jump ball with Capella at midcourt, but then they missed two threes in a row, got two offensive rebounds though. And the second one was Bogdanovich for a putback for the tie. And he was fouled and gave them the lead actually at the free throw line with 122 to go. So the Hawks have the lead again. And then Capella has a great defensive possession on Kate Cunningham. By the way, he was fantastic in this game. Both, I guess both Kay and, Kay and Capella. But uh, Capella actually forced Kate into a pretty, pretty bad circus shot but the ball bounces to him for his own rebound. Then he finishes it and the foul. Um, crucially, he missed the free throw, and the Pistons had some free throw issues down the stretch of this game that kind of left the door open for the Hawks a little bit. But the Hawks were still down by one, and honestly, that was a pretty unlucky possession because the Hawks were playing good defense at that stage. Um, the Hawks did a good job pushing it down the floor. Got Hunter got fouled with about 50 seconds to go. He made both to give the Hawks the lead again, and they uh, did a wise sub for DeLon Wright to go in for Trey on defense because they had the timeouts to do that and executed it well. They did allow a pretty wide open corner three from there to Detroit, but they missed it. Hawks got the rebound to get Trey back in the game. And the Hawks were winning, by the way, with the ball up one. Trey gets back in the game less than a minute to go. You're in great shape. Detroit doesn't foul, which I would have fouled, honestly. It was like a five second, maybe six second uh, differential between shot clock and game clock. It's close enough where I can see it on both sides. But if I'm, the, if I'm Detroit, I would have fouled there. Um, Trey then missed at the end of the shot clock. It was pretty bad possession, but you wasted the time, if nothing else. Trey misses, and the Pistons kind of botched it, actually. They wasted like three and a half seconds before calling timeout. They were very disjointed, sort of a, uh, a young team making a bad um, brain fart kind of decision there from Detroit. But they call timeout, and then the wild stuff begins. Bogdanovich is called for a foul basically on the inbounds pass against Cunningham. That was a controversial call. I'm not going to tell you that it was not a foul. I think that's one that I that you normally would see let go. I think that was the frustration the Hawks had. Like McMillan and Trey made comments after the game. Nobody wanted to get fined, obviously, uh, but certainly they were uh, not thrilled with that call. We could probably uh, deduce by their comments after the game, and I would agree with that. It's not like it was a um, you know all time horrific call, but it's one where you don't want to see that happen. Um, regardless, though. The foul gets made. Bogey fouls out there, by the way, which is also crucial because they went to overtime. Cunningham makes both for the lead. Now, the Hawks, because the time didn't go off the clock, they had time to drop a play and try to try to win the game. And honestly, they drove a nice play. It was Collins on a lob to the rim. Marvin Bagley um, kind of just tackles Collins in the air. A pretty easy foul call, it's called. Collins, though, misses the first free throw. Doesn't make the second one to force overtime, but they had, that's, that's I guess, I guess they're in the second chance, but the third chance to win the game in regulation. He splits those. Somebody asked me on Twitter if it was Collins' fault they lost this game. I mean, no. Collins was one of their best players in this game. Obviously, if he makes one free throw, then they win, but that's the case for a lot of different things that happened in this game. Would have been nice if he made both, but he hadn't been to the line the entire game, by the way. He was one of two, and that was all he took at the line. Uh, and yeah, they could have won it there, but they executed poorly before that. And to overtime we go. Again, the first overtime game of the season for the Hawks. From here, 
the overtime period was not quite as uh, wild, let's just say. Um, but it was, again, just kind of in favor of Detroit. They went DeLon Wright in place of Bogey, who had fouled out, which is the right decision. And by the way, Hunter got his fifth, so they kind of had to be careful there. Because if Hunter had fouled out, I'm not really sure what they would have done. I mean, maybe they would have played Trey, Lou, and DeLon, but that would have been a pretty big challenge defensively. Do you unearth TLC at that point? Do you unearth Kevin Knox? I have no idea what they would have done. Didn't happen, but I was actually kind of more really curious about that. Um, they did foul a three-point shooter early in that uh, early in the, early in overtime, but Jeremy Grant missed two out of the three. In fact, the Pistons, I believe at that point, were six of their last 12 from the line to kind of keep the Hawks in the game to some respects. But some, there were two possessions in this in the overtime period that were kind of the epitome of the second half of the game. Trey missed a layup with like three and a half minutes to go, a shot that he almost always makes. Guys on rebound found DeLon Wright for an open three that he missed and then Detroit and scored at that point. Um, the Hawks did score after that, kind of matching the Pistons back and forth. They were still down by five. And then Capella, by the way, had another just fantastic block. He was great on defense in this game. But then another, the other second of the epitomizing possessions in this game was the Hawks missing three shots on a single possession down by five, including a wide open three by Collins. Sorry, down by four. And, uh, you know, if that goes in, if any of those shots go in, you're definitely in decent, decent shape. You're, you're still the underdog because you're losing in the final minute. But uh, all three of those shots go begging. Detroit scores, and basically it wasn't over at that point, but you're down by, you're down by six with under a minute to go. Now, what the Hawks had to have happen did happen right after that with Hunter making a three immediately to cut the margin from six down to three. And the Hawks actually, actually had a good defensive possession. Again, Trey gets kind of a strip on Cunningham, but it's out of bounds. Then Pistons call timeout. They try to run something else. The Hawks poke it away again. And then Kay has to, after another, after another timeout, by the way, launch like a 35-footer shot clock buzzer that he missed. The Hawks decided to not take a timeout, which they could have done. I'm okay with that going live ball, but they didn't really have a plan when they did that either. Uh, Trey kind of forced the shot that, look, he, he's capable of making, but obviously he was not good in this game. We'll come back to that later on, but Trey had a really rough one in this spot. Um, it's, it's, again, it's a shot that he can make, but it was one for the tie. He misses it. A good rebound by DeLon Wright, actually. A pretty heady play. Good poise to find DeAndre Hunter on kickout, but Hunter had to kind of rush it to get it off. He missed it pretty badly. And they could have gone to the rim. I saw people mentioning that. I would have been okay with that because they had a timeout remaining and they didn't use it. So it's usually a good time. I'm not the biggest fan of the quick two overall, but because they had a timeout remaining, going to get two there would have been fine with me. They didn't do it. And they kind of had a settled possession that was pretty indicative of the way that all went. So all things considered, it was kind of a mess um, for the Hawks in the entire second half of this game. We'll get into some of the numbers in a moment, but down the end of the regulation period, the Hawks had the lead in the final minute. Then they had a chance to, at the line again. They were down. They were up one with one second to go, and then they had a foul by Bogdanovich, calls at the free throw line, like all that stuff. They had they had multiple chances to win. Did the Hawks play well in this game? No, but are they the better team? Yes, and also, you know, they just didn't. I mean, I, again, I, could, I just named three or four, but there were probably five, six, seven opportunities where the Hawks could have maybe not sealed the game, but certainly been in a great position to win it, and they just didn't make any of those plays. And they did hang in to, you know, make it they, – they, they also could have lost by 10 if they didn't execute late in the fourth quarter. And they uh, did that, just not quite enough to get the win. So we'll get into all the takeaways from this game. But uh, at the end of the day, that's my synopsis. Like the Hawks had chances, and they simply couldn't get it done. Okay, we'll get into the takeaways now. Uh, offensively, it was pretty rough in the second half of this game. They scored 54 points. After halftime, that includes overtime. So 54 points in 29 minutes is well below what the Hawks would normally do. 
Pistons were frisky defensively, but they're not great on defense by any means. Um, for the game, 29% from, from, from three and 15 of 22 at the line. Those are pretty rough numbers. They had some good looks. And as Trey said after the game about himself and really the entire team, they had some shots that they normally make that they didn't make in this game. I definitely agree with that. It wasn't all process stuff. But just as a data point here, uh, Trey and Bogey combined to shoot four of 18 from three. That's tough. You know, everybody else on the team was seven of 20, which isn't great either. That's, that's 35%. Your two best shooters, your two most prolific shooters were four of 18, and that is going to hurt you. At the line, they weren't like disastrous, but they weren't good either. Uh, so other things we can get into there, but they, tur- they, they took care of the ball pretty well. 14 turnovers is not like great for the Hawks, but it's also like a really good number for an overtime game for any team. 28 assists, so they had two assists for every turnover. That's a good ratio. They got a lot of rebounds in this game. They rebounded the ball well on both ends of the floor, actually. They uh, had the advantage in the entire game on the glass. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Um, offensively, it's just, you know, sort of a tale of halves. But even then, the first quarter and a half was really good, and the last two and a half, three quarters were really not on offense for the Hawks in this game. Defensively, um, they had a better defensive rating in the game than they actually have for the season, which is uh, kind of speaks to the Hawks defense for the season in some respects. But I do think that they were legitimately good after halftime. The Pistons shot 30% from the floor after halftime, and the Hawks were really contesting shots. Capella was the anchor of that and the leader of it, but um, even guys like Trey had some nice possessions defensively in the second half. I thought they, I thought they were like downright good, at least by the Hawks standards this year. Defensively, it's just that they picked the time when the offense kind of sputtered to actually have that happen. And for the full game, the Pistons had some pretty you know, pedestrian but not terrible numbers. 55% true shooting. They actually shot the ball better than the Hawks did overall by a couple points. Um, turnovers were dead even in the game overall. Assists were basically even as well. Um, these are two box scores that are extremely similar by, by these two teams. The Pistons were better from three. Hawks were better from two. But other than that, it was pretty much a mirror image, which kind of, uh, I guess, is appropriate for an overtime game. But there you go on that. Um, to the player evaluations in this spot, uh, again, only nine guys played real minutes in this one. We'll go to the bench first, as always. Um, Akongwu was not his best in this game. You can understand why. Obviously, he was in the concussion protocol, and, you know, he can't really practice in that, can't really be around the team. So he's probably a little bit rusty, but especially in the first half, he's pretty shaky. Uh, did have two points, four rebounds, and a block shot. Had a couple flash plays, as he's always going to have, but it was not his best work. I, would, I, I thought, actually, they probably stuck with him too long in the second half. I would have probably played Capella a few more minutes, but um, it wasn't like he was terrible either. Uh, Lou was actually really good in this game. 13 points on eight shots. That's kind of what you can ask for for Lou Williams. I thought he really carried them late in the third, early in the fourth. And they were winning when he left the game. So I thought that uh, Lou was a bright spot. It was one of his better games of the season, honestly. I'm not saying it was his best game of the season, but certainly in the top five, six, seven games of the year from Lou, he was really a a plus when he was out there. I thought DeLon was really good in the areas that he's always really good. Defensively, he was active. He had the two steals. He had ton, tons of deflections, had four points, five assists, five rebounds, but was 0-3 on threes. Obviously, it would have been nice if he made one of those, but I thought he was an effective overall player, as he almost always is, just doing the little stuff. And then Gallo, defensively, you know, it's never good. I thought it was worse than usual in this game for the most part, although even, even he was better in the second half. 14 points, and he was actually pretty efficient. Five nine from the floor, three of six from three-point range, four rebounds. No assists and, and one turnover for Gallo off the bench. Uh, to the starters in this game, um, kind of a mixed bag. We'll uh, we'll save Trey for the end, but he was the guy who I thought was the worst of the five in terms of at least according to their normal baselines. Hunter was not as good as he was on Thursday and Friday, but certainly not bad in the game. 15 points, um, two rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block. 
Rebounding wise, wasn't his best effort, but he was three of six on twos, one of four on threes, six of eight at the free throw line. I love seeing him get to the line. Eight attempts for Hunter in the game is great. You love seeing that. I think he was pretty good defensively. Not his best work, I don't think, overall. He had some rough moments against Cunningham, against even Sadiq Bay at times, but he also wasn't bad in terms of the overall uh, output. Bogdanovich struggled, at least, according, at least according to his normal, uh, at least his recent performances. But even then, I say that, he had 22 points. So it wasn't like he was bad. He just did not have a three-point shot in this game, two of 11 from three. But six of eight on twos, four fourth free throw line, six assists, five rebounds. So 22 points on 21 shooting possessions is not like a disastrous outcome. And uh, generally, he gave them some verve offensively. He was better than Trey was, for instance. So he was probably the more effective perimeter option in this one, but not his A-plus game either. I thought Collins was pretty solid in his uh, sort of uptick in minutes in this game. 17 and 11 for John in 32 minutes, two assists, plus four in the minutes that he played. Five, eight on twos, two of five on threes. He was efficient. He was good around the rim. It's kind of a tough ask for him. He had to guard Jamie Grant for most of this game, which is an interesting challenge for him off of off the foot injury and also guarding a guy who is more of a perimeter player in some respects. I think, I think he did a competitive job defensively. Nothing fantastic, but he was okay. Um, I thought he looked good for the most part. Capella, I thought, was awesome defensively, like truly awesome defensively, especially in the second half, anchoring things, contesting. He had two blocks. I think he might have been credited for a couple more if it was uh, not getting too te- technical on that. But nine points, 12 rebounds, um, very efficient in terms of finishing in this game, four of six, you know, he was really good defensively. What are you going to say? Um, he outplayed, by the way, they, uh, the Pistons lost Isaiah Stewart along the way. So they actually played Marvin Bagley a ton. And I have to say, I've long been a Marvin Bagley skeptic. He's pretty good in this game. I don't think he was fantastic. He had a bad foul against Collins, but I actually thought he was pretty good as a uh, sort of a non-Hawks sidebar. And last, Trey Young. Uh, Trey had a rough one. I said it before, but just to reiterate, he opened this game three of three with eight points in the first three and a half, four minutes. He finished the game 5 of 20 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3, 2 of 4 from the free throw line, which is even weirder for Trey, who shoots 90% or so. Uh, did have 12 assists, which is, of course, a lot. He had some nice passes, as he always does. He's a great passer. Five turnovers is not too, too many for him. It's probably more than you want, but not nothing disastrous. But, you know, he just didn't make shots. And he said it after the game pretty candidly. I think I agree with him in watching the shots back. Like, he didn't take – there were a couple, game, a couple shots late, I thought, that he forced. And this is something that Trey does not do well – in my opinion, is know when he doesn't have it and kind of dial it back. On some level, you know, the team is built around him being a primary scorer, and I totally get that. And, you know, that's one of the criticisms of this Hawks team right now is they don't have a ton of other shot creators. But it was very clear in this game Trey did not have the juice. And he still kind of – it's that banging your head against the wall kind of thing. Um, that was the feeling that you get along the way. He was 3 of 13 on twos. Like, that that's brutal. Um, so – there's something to be said for that. If he had just kind of toned it down a little bit, the Hawks probably won this game, honestly, because he was really a minus at times offensively, and he's always minus defensively. So that kind of tells you the story here. You know, this is not this is not me killing Trey Young. Like he was worse in the Chicago game, for instance. Like it wasn't like it was an all-time bad performance from Trey. But if he had been good, the Hawks would have won this game, which is the case a lot when the Hawks lose. It's not like it's uh, all on him by any means, but he is the guy. And when he is 14 points on 22 shooting possessions, it's going to be tough for the Hawks to win. And that happened in this game, and. You know, I thought defensively he was better in the second half, to be fair to him. But uh, he didn't have his best game. Let's just leave it there for now. From here, the Hawks in the standings, of course, fall with this loss. They're now actually back into sole possession of 10th. Only a half game behind Charlotte and Brooklyn, but they went from a three-way tie to being back in the 10th. They're three behind Toronto as I record this. They're six behind Cleveland with 18 games to go. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this is a game that they probably needed to win to have any chance 
of the 60, which I've been saying for a while, like the door is about as close to close as possible. It's not all the way close because Cleveland's kind of in free fall, but the Hawks would have to really go on a crazy run to get there. And this is the kind of loss you can't take to go on a crazy run. So you're obviously focusing more on getting out of the 9-10 matchup probably for the Hawks. But for now, a step back, at least briefly. And from here, they have a tough test on Wednesday. Now, they can win. I want to be clear about that. The Hawks can absolutely win on the road anywhere in the NBA. But they go to Milwaukee, and it's by far the toughest game of the week on paper by a you know again by a pretty wide margin. So you have this game in Detroit, which the Hawks were favored by a solid seven and a half point margin. You come home over the weekend. You play three games in four days. That's always tough, but they're all at home. No travel against teams that are not as good as the Hawks are. So in between there, you go to Milwaukee. Now, it is a back-to-back for the Bucks. That's a slight advantage toward the Hawks, but it is a home back-to-back as well for Milwaukee. So not quite as grueling. The Hawks have to fly in tonight into Milwaukee. So provided the Bucks play their guys, the Hawks will not be favored in that game. I wouldn't imagine at tip-off. But obviously they've played the Bucs competitively. They've actually beaten them this year twice. So that's a winnable game for sure. But they have to play well to win in Milwaukee, whereas they, can, they could have potentially played a C-plus game in Detroit and won. I cannot imagine the Hawks going into Milwaukee and playing C-plus game and winning. So they're going to have to show up and play well to win that game. And listen, if you win that one on Wednesday, some of the ills of this loss to Detroit are erased. At the same time, it would have been nice to go on a run here. We talked about with, with Wes Morton on the show yesterday. But I thought going 4-1 and one in this five-game stretch would have been obviously a little bit greedy, but also kind of needed for where they are. And to lose the first one of those five puts you behind the eight ball. So at the end of the day, I am not going to rant and rave about this one. This is a game that I think was not as brutal as some others the Hawks have had this year. And I, again, I kind of tried to warn everybody yesterday and during the day-to-day about this kind of being not necessarily a trap game, but one that was more difficult than you might, than you might expect. But I say all that. The Hawks needed to win this game, and they didn't. And they didn't do it. So I'm not going to try to tell anybody that's frustrated. There was a lot of frustration after this one in my mentions on the timeline. I totally understand all of that. It's a bad loss, full stop. And uh, to you know, go go to overtime, have sort of a renewed potential to steal one in Detroit in overtime, and to go out there and be losing basically the entire overtime period. All of that's maddening, and uh, you know that's one that they got away from here. So now they have a chance to get back get back to 500. But now you have 18 games remaining. And yes, the Hawks are capable in my mind. Again, this is probably like broken record stuff right now, but they can go 14 and four. They can go 13 and five. They, they have the capability of doing that, but they have to actually do it. And right now, if you are skeptical of that, I don't blame you at all because it's been a frustrating season. You talk to bottom, they're 12 and 20 on the road, all kinds of stuff that we can get into. But for now, we'll leave it here. And it was not a great, not a great night for the Atlanta Hawks on Monday, March the 7th. From here, again, we'll have a podcast probably in between games, but at the very latest, we'll come back on Wednesday evening. Please, please, please subscribe to the show. If you are not already subscribed on the YouTube channel, I encourage you to do so. Even if you're not a huge video watcher of podcasts, and I have to say, I've admitted this before, maybe I shouldn't, but I I have to be candid with my audience here. Um, I don't love video podcasts, to be honest with you, but it's a great, great way to subscribe and also to support the show. Even if you are not going to ever watch the YouTube channel and you are understanding of that, it will help me. It will help the podcast to grow if you subscribe. I've set a goal of 1,000 subscribers by the end of the season. We are more than halfway there, and I definitely appreciate everybody that's already done that, but please help us get to that goal. And beyond that, subscribe on your favorite podcast player of choice, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Odyssey app, all those places we have the podcast. And also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland, and we'll see you at the very latest after the game on Wednesday.